more than ever, we live in a world that's looking for the right answers to any question that they ask. They're just desperate for answers. And, um, and we live in a time where there's a lot of different people that believe they have the answers and are willing to throw them up. And there's only one answer. There's only one. And more and more, uh, it is the choice of a culture to ignore the one answer and to search for everything else. Oddly enough, it's kind of what I'm preaching on today, but Cully's exactly right. Whatever has caused the hate and the anger and the outrage, it's not what God intended. And so where do we find God in it? And uh, we're going to talk about that today as well. In a moment when we pray together, as we are in the habit of doing together, we're, we're going to take some time to pray for what is going on in El Paso. Um, almost certainly it is a political situation that is brought across and brought about this violence. And so we have to pray beyond the situation that exists there now but where we are as a country, just as Cully said. We cannot let things continue the way that they continue and expect things to change. That is the church's job. It is why, it is why we are here. And it is why uh, God has given us the life that he's given us to live together. Okay, so that means I've got to stand still. Uh, I don't know what the problem is, but anyway, don't have to worry about that falling off my ear. We're continuing on in Mark, and as we move through Mark, early on, chapter 9 and chapter 10, Jesus confronts us with some very elemental, elementary ideas about faith. And then as we move through to the Passion Week of Mark that he records Jesus' Passion the week that he is betrayed, that he is crucified, that he raised, that he is raised from the grave, that he ascends to the Father, all of those things, as we move into that, we get into deeper water as we continue to move with him. But this has to happen first. If, if the very simple idea that we're willing to surrender all and follow Jesus is not concrete in our life, it, it, if it is not the very purpose for living, as the song said a while ago, that Jesus is our everything, then we cannot move forward with him. And so we are unable to be who we are called to be as believers in Jesus Christ. You might even say that that's why we're in such disarray in our country is because the church is frozen in its elementary milk-consuming state. And as long as we remain there, we are going to continue with the problems that are much weightier than, uh, than our faith sometimes allows us to address. What that means is we have to mature in Christ. But there's a beginning point. And this passage today helps us with that, I hope. I hope that the presentation that we will enjoy today 
will help us in that. So beginning with verse 13, this particular section would fall all the way through the end of verse 31. We're not going that far. Today we're going to go to verse uh, 22. So from 13 to 22 in Mark's 10th chapter, it reads like this. It says, People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And these are the words of the Lord today for us <clears throat> in hopes that we will be more like him as we draw closer to him. You might think that it's strange to connect these two passages together. The children that come to Jesus and the rich man that comes and falls at Jesus' feet. But the two are there on purpose together, I believe. That Mark has provided us with a contrast of ideas about what it means um, to know God and to be near to God. And in one situation we have uh, these people, it says... I can almost guarantee you that it was the, it was the mothers. <laughs> it was the mothers bringing their children to Jesus so that he could touch them. And there was this wonderful idea in the Hebrew tradition at the time that this holy man and Jesus was seen to be a rabbi, a teacher, someone that was quite unique and different than anyone else in the community would be to minim minimalize who he was. They recognized him as being something quite unique from God. And if their children could just be touched by them, it might change everything for them. And of course, by now, Jesus has drawn many crowds, and he's already told his disciples twice that he's going to die. And so uh, the disciples, as most men would have at the time, would have seen children as just being a distraction and a bother. And so they said, don't, leave him alone, leave him alone. And Jesus becomes quite indignant with them at, as to say, why are you telling them to leave me alone? And there's two things we can pick up from here that we must 
kind of taken to ourselves. And one is, we've got no business making decisions for Jesus. <laughs> okay, that's the one thing that he's indignant about. He's never said to them, the children are not to come to me. Here are his disciples making decision about who he is. And sometimes we do the same thing. We fall in the same trap. Jesus, we're going to make some decisions for you because we kind of believe we know what's best here and what you need or even what I need. And so one, one spot of indignation is you don't do that to Jesus. You allow Jesus to be him. And, of course, we're better off for that. And so are the people that we touch. The other thing about that is no one is to ever be separated from him. It doesn't matter if they're a child or a sinner or a thief on the cross or whoever it may be. No one is separated from Jesus. In fact, Paul makes that very clear in the passage that Landry read this morning, which I had no idea you were going to read. But nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in who? Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. And so then we find here, he says, that it is this kind of person that is really going to receive the kingdom. Which means that you've got some changes to make, is what he's saying to these disciples. It is these children and who they are and, and how they live and their life, they're the ones that are going to be able to recognize and open themselves to just what the kingdom of God is. And we know this because a child, by nature, is just a, a humble being. A child doesn't know anything. Everything that a child becomes, it soaks up like a, like a sponge from everything else. So when your child are acting out, acting out like they're not very humble, they've learned that from you. They're not born that way. They're naturally humble people because they know that they depend upon and are at really the mercy of whoever is in their life. So we come to God that day, that way. <laughs> a child is naturally obedient, and now you're really shaking your head. <laughs> but they are. They, they, they depend on us to teach them, and, so, and they naturally want to learn. So a child is obedient to what you are teaching them and so Jesus is saying you've got to come obedient if you're going to come because that's the only way you're ever going to make sense of what this kingdom is because it is God's will, God's life, God's love, God's grace, everything about it you must be willing to receive through obedience. And a, and a child trusts. I mean, they can act up, sure. But when they come and nestle up under your arm, just to be near you, they're saying, I trust you and I want to be near to you. There's an acceptance of who you are as the authority in their life, but also the acceptance of who you are as the love in their life. And they want to be near to that. It's, it, it expresses a confidence that they have, knowing that they're going to be safe, known by you, and to be loved by you. So they learn to trust. And we are to learn to trust. And then there's this idea of freedom. A child is free. And don't, and then that's what we really miss about being kids, right? Is you're just free. Go out in the backyard, play for seven hours. Who cares? You don't know what time it is. Don't care what time it is. Lose track of time. And we lived in a neighborhood growing up where you could just go anywhere. 
were in Natchez, Mississippi, eight or nine years old, living on this loop street that went through. And um, we'd start about eight in the morning, and by nightfall, we all had flashlights, and we were still going, and time didn't matter, and place didn't matter, and nothing mattered. You could just make, make the best use of your time to stretch and grow and play and be with people. Time wasn't a problem. The child has no preoccupation or dependence upon material things. I mean, they, they get what they get. That's all right. If I don't have it, I don't have it. If I have it, I have it. They really make no decision about who they're going to be based on what they have or don't have. Or at least that's the way it should be. I've had children in this very church before 9, 10, 11 years old that had to wake up their parents to go to work. They were robbed of their, chi their, their childhood. In fact, this one girl I'm thinking of right now, she had ulcers by the time she was 16 trying to be the parent in the house when she was supposed to be free from time and a preoccupation with these things. The other thing that children are free of is from religious obligations and ideas and requirements. Your children are here today because you brought them, but they're also in the back loving what they're doing because they love being here. They're not looking for any rules and regulations to bring them closer to God. They're counting on Lee to bring them closer to God, although they don't really know that. This is what it means to be, to enter the kingdom of God. This is how we're supposed to be. But yet, after this scene, we see Jesus is walking down the road, and here comes a young man and throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now, every time we see that in Scripture, this is someone that's in distress. They've got someone dying, or they've got someone ill, or there's someone demon-possessed. They're, they're desperate for what Jesus may do for them. And here is a kid that's got everything and he's desperate to find out what Jesus can do for him. He needs an answer. He's a rich, young ruler. Man, don't you want to be him? I bet he was good looking too. You know? He probably had it all. Rich, young, good looking, had power. And yet something was really missing in this kid's life. Something was really missing because he comes in anguish before Jesus. And he's, what does he say? He says to him, teacher, what must I do? That sound familiar to anybody? What must I do? I got to do it. Look, I've got all the resources. I'm rich. I'm young. I got my life ahead of me. I've got power. And I'm good looking. What must I do? To have eternal life. And this is the big question. See this guy had everything. And he still understood. That none of it was bringing him nearer to God. None of it. And he's looking for an answer. That's what our country is looking for right now today. What? How can I be more? That's what they're really asking. They don't want to bring God into it. They just want to know how they can be more. There's only one way to be more. And we find that in the rest of the story. <laughs> Here's the man who has everything, and yet he has nothing. He can't find any meaning in his life, and he's in anguish about that. He says to Jesus, what must I do? So material wealth doesn't do it. 
Because if it had, he would have had the answers already. He could have even bought them maybe. Do we live in a culture that tries to buy the answers? Sadly so. Hey, he had prestige. <laughs> he was an aristocrat. But here is the aristocrat <laughs> coming to the penniless, homeless, soon-to-be criminal Jesus for answers. So even that tells the story, right? <laughs> Why would a man with so much come to a man that has less than nothing for answers? Well, let's look at it. There's five things here before we finally get to our last point that I want us to look at together. First of all, we see that he comes seeking answers from a source that he should have never sought an answer from. Who was Jesus in this economy? He had no money. He had no, he had no home. The only prestige that Jesus had coming into this scene is that he had the power of God. And that's what the man was looking for. He knew that he had the power of God. By this time, Jesus had been wandering around the countryside for nearly three years. Everybody knew who he was. And this man wanted some answers. His soul was not at peace. And if you put everything else aside, truly what we want in this world is peace. Peace here, I mean, peace right here with me. I want to be at peace. Well, if that's the answer you're looking for, Jesus is the place to go. Keep that in mind. The second thing we find in here is that wealth and religion uh, provide no answers because neither can provide confidence for eternal life. The man had lived and he knew, my goodness, thousands of years had passed and everybody knew. You could, you could, you could uh, gather up all the wealth that you wanted and it was not going to matter the day you took your last breath. Everybody knew that. What, what did matter? Well, I want to be able to live beyond that last breath. I want to know what's beyond that. And I, and, 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 and I want to know that God is there. I want to know that there's one that's been there yesterday, today, and forever that is going to be with me there. And not only do I want him there with me because he's been there forever, I want him to be kind to me, to be gentle to me, to be gracious and loving and merciful to me. That's what I want, and that's what this young man was looking for, but he had not found it in his wealth. He had not found it in his religion because Jesus asked him, what does he say? You know the commandments. And Jesus leaves off the first four that have to do with the commandments on how we are to interact with God. He only deals with the way that we're to interact with one another and what that means for our life. He says, so you know the commandments. You don't murder. You don't commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't bear false witness. You don't defraud, which sounds kind of out of place for you maybe. Because what would normally be there is that we don't covet. But covet something that you can do in your heart. What had, what had kind of evolved in the teaching of the day was that when you let your covetedness affect another person, you would defraud them of what they had. So Jesus is speaking of an action here against the person rather than just what's going on inside of you. 
So he makes these distinctions and he says, honor your father and mother. They're all negatives except that one. So you could say, or not to fail in honoring your father and mother. So all these things are the negative side of things that, that we're to do. And, and nothing about that could offer forgiveness for this man. He had done all these things, he said, and he was still feeling like something's missing in my life. There's something missing here. Notice that Jesus doesn't even answer the question about eternal life. Jesus never mentions eternal life. The man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns around and points him right back to God. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's God. See, too often, we get distracted by what's coming at the end, right? This is, this is what we've done as a church. So often we've said to people, hey, just believe in Jesus and you, and you won't go to hell when you die. We jump right to the end. And Jesus never even goes to the end with this guy. He just points out the journey. He says, look, all this stuff really hasn't worked for you, huh? Get rid of all of it and follow me. In fact, you've, you've been so busy concentrating on the things that you're not doing to make yourself right before God. Let's, let's concentrate on just one thing that you can do that will store up all the treasure that you have here in heaven. Get rid of all your stuff for the purpose of making others' lives better. Give it to the poor. You don't need it anymore. Why? Well, why would, all that, why, would he, why would Jesus say, I don't need it anymore? Because you don't need it to follow me. It'll be a distraction for you if you hang on to these things. In fact, it will be the anchor that holds you to this old life while I'm trying to drag you out of it into a new life. So the religious answers don't always satisfy but Jesus always satisfies. There stands the penniless, homeless, criminal Jesus, and his life will always satisfy over and above wealth or some kind of religious dogma or having power and strength in this world. I think that's sometimes hard for us to, to grasp. <clears throat> the things that we value so much now really have so little value for us for what we truly seek in life, and that is an eternity with God. But what we do have now has an absolute value to those who have nothing. And Jesus is saying, <clears throat> you know now what not to do. The one thing that you do is to make your life purposeful and useful to other people that need it. In fact, you could almost say he's saying, <coughs> excuse me, don't waste your wealth on people that already have it. Take who you are and what you've built in your life and use it for people who desperately need you. 
Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't that? <clears throat> Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus came and he did what? He emptied himself for the purpose of what? For bringing life to us. He's saying, empty yourself for the purpose of bringing some semblance of life to people who desperately need it. And then he says, once you're free of that, guess what you're free to do? Follow me. And if Jesus ever gets close to answering the question for the man, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus is saying, what you must do is free yourself from all these things that you think have made you a worthy person. Relieve yourself of all those things and follow me. Follow me. You have to get rid of your own sense of respectability. <laughs> you know? You have, to, you have to be willing to find your sense of respectability and value in Jesus and in nowhere else. Uh, you have to be able to... Um, you have to be able to, to free yourself from that anchor of meisms. But wait a minute, I've got to do this so I can do this. But I've got to do this for God so that I'm able to, you know, do this for the, for the poor people. Wrong. Sorry. All you have to do with Jesus, the very elemental, elementary idea about faith is to decide you're going to follow him. There's nothing else here. You get rid of all these things and you follow me. So lastly, that takes humility, right? Just like a child. To follow Jesus takes a childlike obedience. Just like he was describing when he said that children enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be one like these. They just simply trust. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to just have simple trust in him. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to set yourself free from all the things that entangle you that would cause you to say at some point in time, I just can't keep up. Because look, Jesus isn't out running you ever. You start lagging behind, he has to start dragging his feet a little bit. Okay, got to wait on Mark. Sometimes he's just standing here with his hands in his pocket. I had him do this for 10 years one time. In fact, a few times he had to do this. There's one thing that Jesus doesn't have to worry about, and that's time. And there's one thing that Jesus doesn't have to worry about, and that is a finite amount of love for you. And there's another thing he doesn't have to worry about. He doesn't have to worry about resources to bring your life into the place where he wants it to be. He's got everything. He's got everything. And so he says to this man, you know, he's trying to change his paradigm for life. He's trying to change his values. He's trying to change his culture, all in this one thing of following. Now, we would think that would be too much. Can he just kind of ease us into this, get rid of one thing at a time until we're finally in that place where now we can move forward? No, that's not how it works. 
if Jesus could empty himself of all glory to do what he did, then surely we can let go of a few of these things that are holding us to an old kind of life that are keeping us from following him. Yeah, we can do it. We can rearrange our life in one fell swoop when we say, I'm going to follow Jesus. But look, you can see the young man had a very, look, you know what, did you recognize a word in here that says, at the end of this, my goodness, I lost my place. It says in verse 22 that the young man was dismayed by this command. His thought was, how could he ask such a thing of me? He was dismayed by this. And he went away grieving. He wasn't grieving when he came. Now he's leaving with the same stuff that he came with. He's still the rich young ruler that's good looking. Only now, he's not just looking for an answer. He gets the answer and he is grieving over the answer because he has it in his heart that it's more than he can do. And there comes a real question for all of us, doesn't it? We can't just sit around. We can't just decide I'm going to do this at some point in time. If you want to see the world change, if you want to see your life change, if you want to have an influence over the kind of thinking and behaviors that has set forth this chain of events across our country today, you've got to let go of some things in your life and you've got to be with Jesus. Jesus does not go around encouraging hatred and violence. He doesn't go around encouraging oppressive wealth that makes people poor and angry in the world. He's not going around that divides races into groups of people or, or to different ideologies into, in, into groups of political ideologies. Jesus has one purpose. He has one idea behind everything that he's ever done. And that he has one idea for what he has asked each and every one of us to do, to follow him. Simple. Now, when we do that, we will discover that our lives are moving nearer to the heart of God. And as we follow, we are given the opportunity to draw others nearer to the heart of God. But if we can't do this one thing, And here he is with you. He's got his hands in his pocket, waiting. Waiting. I think the most miserable years of my life is when I made God wait for me. I made him wait. I was going to live my life my way. I was going to do it my way. I had all the ideas. I was going to make money. Oh, I was going to make money. Ha! <laughs> Those of you that know me know that never happened. <laughs> I was going to be an influential this, that, and the other. Jesus is sitting there. None of that has to do anything with following me. 
I was going to be a great preacher. Just follow me. That's the simple message of this whole passage. Follow me like a child. A church is effective in a world like we live in today when it's filled with children. When it's filled with children who trust when it's filled with children who are obedient, when it's filled with children who are humble, when it's filled with children who are freed from all the things that encumber us so that we can be with God. When that happens, your life will take on a fullness and, a, and, a, and such a power to overcome all the things that come to kill and steal and destroy. But first we must follow. If you want to, you can read ahead and mark because there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's a lot of good things up to the time that Jesus is anointed in Bethany that we're going to be going through and none of them are easy for us. They're all difficult and the only way that we'll ever deal with any of it is if we first got our feet firmly on the path with Jesus and are following him. Let's pray. <clears throat> we love you, Father, and we thank you for the life that you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the simple requirement of being a child, to be near to you, and to be like your Son, Jesus, to empty our life of all the things that encumber us, of all the things that, that sometimes lie to us and have us believe that, that we might be able to make it to you without him. But Lord, we know that those things leave us empty and wanting. So we ask you, God, today to move in our hearts to bring us near to you through your son, Jesus. To let the things of this world fall away from us so that we find our full might, our full purpose, our very life in him. Guide us in these things. Look, we have a moment now of invitation, a time where you are able to prepare your life with Christ, that you are able to offer yourself to God in a way that, that brings about change in you today. I want to ask now for our family care ministers to come forward, but if there is a, there is a need for prayer today, uh, in this moment of invitation, in this moment where you get to make some decisions about your life, then I'm asking you now to come. We are going to spend time in a moment praying for one another and praying for the needs in our life. But this time now is just a moment of invitation for us. So allow God to lead you through it. Allow him to open your heart up to who he is right now in your life. He's very patient and loving with you. And he doesn't want you to miss this moment that he is prepared for you 
and for him. Use this time now to make a change in your life.